0: being about, moving, as roaring lion, sounding like he's devouring the children. <laughs> he set his gaze to the young ones this morning. But it is a part of our worship here at Redeemer. I would welcome you to join with us in worship through hearing of the Word of God. And it is here as we gather in our times around the Word that is central importance to us as a body to be transformed to the image of Christ by the Word of Christ It is as our building is designed and as we're growing with the children that we will hear them more than from time to time, but it is uh, to our own affections. We have all have blood on our hands for contributing to uh, the children in there. I have three of my own with one on the way, so I bear my guilt and I work to overcome them, Uh, but it is a blessing to us to have the children and uh, I know you feel the same. But it is to anyone this morning who has been alive, I trust. Each of you, I look out and I do see people who are alive, that is breathing air, each one of you right now. And I would say to you that right now we're going to establish an immediate sense of common ground. As we are about to endeavor to walk through the book of Revelation in the 17th chapter, we're going to begin right now by establishing one another with equal footing as we interpret this text together. For some of you new this morning, you're joining a conversation through the book of Revelation that we have been working on here at Redeemer for a portion of time, but I trust Revelation 17 will feed your soul as the Lord would be faithful to do so, and we will be able to be blessed together through this text. The point of level ground that we can establish is simply this. You can verify with me as I verify with you the truthfulness of these statements. People, quote, people are not always what they appear to be. Right? So right now, you agree with that. I agree with that. So far, we're starting out in the exact place now to walk through the book of Revelation. You agree, you've experienced this in your life. So not only by way of biblical revelation does that make sense to you, but even by experiential wisdom in your own life lived as a human being, that makes sense to you. Each one of you have experienced that, or perhaps also, and in many degrees, been that person. A part of humanity. So this text speaks immediately to our situation in life if we can receive together, that people are not always as they appear to be. second one that I would ask you to share with me in validating, quite honestly, is this statement that we have heard time and again, perhaps we have also then used to encourage or to instruct someone, is, quote, don't judge a book by its cover. You've said that, perhaps. Someone said that to you. The final one, I just gave three because every good outline, as I've said before, requires three of everything. So it is my third statement to you would say that black, quote, black bananas are tasty to the ones who cannot see them. I made that one up, but I think, (laughs) but I think there is wisdom there. If you didn't know that they were black before they were served you, perhaps they were tasty. If you saw them when they were black, then that undoes the tastiness regardless. The idea is the facade of things. However, in all seriousness, that is on the first two, if you can't receive the black bananas are tasty to those. Who cannot see them, I would just build my case with you on the other two premises that perhaps you can connect with, and that is, however intellectually it is that we can receive those truths, we receive them in the mind. We've received them by experience with ourselves and with others, yet it is also at that same painfully obvious that we don't always receive it with right judgment. That is, Though we know these things, don't look at the glitz and the glamour and assume that everything about it is the glitz and the glamour. Nonetheless, we are oftentimes, each one of us particular, maybe we could even in our minds go back just within the last two months, and we are oftentimes duped by a flashy presentation of something. It's the bright bulb flash that catches you off guard and you believe in whatever it was that the presentation sold itself as. That is also that we see the gullible nature of the church again and again and again and again and again. again. We see that within our own person, our own gullible nature to this is this weekend only. And we all rush out to go make sure we get that couch because there's only, remember, two of them remaining. So it is with this sense of presentation, this sense of earnestness, this sense of you're going to get a major point of delivery here. Get in on it. Oftentimes in the salesman's pitch, we run headlong into it. I mean, we've been seeing this sense of the convincing power of sin since we fell dead in the garden where all men sinned in Adam. So it is as we look to that event and we continue throughout redemptive history to our point in time, we also recognize just the the, the ability to woo that sin has and the some sense of our own depravity giving way to a gullibility about ourselves each and every time that this is the last leather couch remaining. You have to take it now if you want it. It will be gone. Only to walk by the same store and see it on display in their monthly ad again, only it's the last one this time the 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 constant sense of the facade and the sales pitch, the glitz and the glamour gives way in a convincing way to our own gullible nature. So it is that Christ would say this to his disciples, and this is the verse that we have for you. We like here, as you've seen for quite some time now, to give you a sense of the text of Holy Scripture uh, as you leave this place, to be able to take your verse card with you. And sometimes we have a hard time. I say many words at times, <laughs> and we, we can lose the sense or maybe the centerpiece meaning. So we try to arm you in leaving. If you can't recall the entirety of the sermon and you don't have three hours to listen in the middle of the week to one by downloading it online, then maybe you could at least get to the verse card and recall with power that sense of meditation about the text and the center of the meaning. And that is what we've provided for you from John seven twenty It is Christ his, to, to, to us, to you, and I this morning. It is, quote, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So so it is, along with the Lord's word of wisdom to the church, don't judge by facades, looking at them and a fresh coat of paint. And think that that there's no asbestos in the building. There's not in this space, by the way, right now. You're not breathing that. It is to say, don't judge. Judge a book by its cover. Use right judgment. It requires discernment. In other words, to be able to see through and to maneuver your way through culture. It requires discernment. Use right discerning judgment. Because they walk around and they say certain buzzwords doesn't mean that they are a pastor preacher that is faithful to the text of Holy Scripture. Use right judgment. Listen discerningly. Because they walk around with verse tied around their waist and hanging down. And they pray right in the middle of the street. Don't just get sucked up into it. Use right discernment. Use right judgment is the word of Christ in John 7. Even of a religious nature, use right judgment. Don't get caught up in appearances. Don't get caught up in the praise bands. Use right judgment. Judge content. This is what John is going to reveal to us in in Revelation 17, the same sense of the convincing power of sin uh, and a word to the church that helps arm us against being gullible to the presentation. John is looking at Babylon this morning out of Revelation 17, and he has given you the same word that we heard J.D. read from uh, Proverbs this morning. A word of discernment and wisdom is necessary because she presents herself in such a wonderful light. So Christ would say to you this morning from the text of Scripture, don't judge by appearance. Use right judgment. So we'll walk through John 17 for the next few moments and simply do that. We'll look at the way John is instructing us about using right judgment judgment in relationship to Babylon. I'll spend a brief moment defining Babylon and then we'll conclude uh, sometime later. John 17, if, or, excuse me, uh, John's revelation of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation here. I'll begin reading verse 1. We'll work through verse, uh, I'll read through verse 6 and then we'll come back and make a few brief comments regarding the deceitfulness of an appearance and the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 1, I begin reading, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Am I, am I too close to the mic? Okay, great. Beginning in verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. and It had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. and On her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. First thing about this passage, to not lose sight of the introduction, that is simply John is painting for you and I together. Her appearance is the first thing we need to look at, is how she appears and approaches the saints. That is, even beyond the church, how she approaches and appears to general culture. Look at her appearance there as you see in verse 4. The woman, and we'll again define her briefly, but the woman, that is Babylon, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. She is arrayed, quite frankly. Babylon, as it is, is arrayed in expensive and attractive clothing. This is the point. This is what John's getting at. This is why Jesus is saying to you, don't judge by appearances. She is arrayed here in the imagery of expensive and attractive clothing. She reflects, what does the clothing reflect but power and prestige of an untouchable economy? You say to me, where is economy in there? I, 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 I could go with you as far as to see that the imagery is presenting her in a light of expense and in a light of luxury and attraction. But if you recall, and for some of you who haven't been with us as we defined Babylon earlier as she appeared in the book of Revelation, but here Babylon shows us Rome. In the first century context, what we're dealing with here is Babylon. The woman, the mother of prostitutes, is Rome from the threat of spiritual compromise for economic gain. She is the machine that runs finance. She is drawing you in. She is dangling that glitz and glamour, that ability to gain. She is putting it in front of you to draw you in, only to find out in the end you will become intoxicated with her abomination. This is who Babylon is. She is Rome in the first century as she appears as a spiritual threat to compromise with economic welfare. You recall earlier in the book, the church is struggling because of economic sanctions against her. That is, you have to belong to a trade guild because you're performing a trade. This is how you are making a living, you and your family. And so there are choices that you're making along the way to belong to a particular guild that enables you to make money and belong to them, and they look out for you and you look out for them. And yet, as we watched within the seven letters written to the seven churches, there is deadly compromise that awaits them in these trade guilds. There's offering worship to other gods. Christians in this sense of defining family and their roles are saying, where is the standard? Where is the line that I draw in belonging to this guild in order to have economic success and welfare for my family? Only I have to surrender this sense of gospel integrity. What do I do here? And the Lord is calling them to faithfulness faithfulness to him, if they cannot serve two masters, creates a tremendous difficult situation. So it is that Babylon, then, within that context of Rome, presents herself with all of the dangling goodies. Economic power, an ability to belong and have a roof over our heads. She appears. As 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 I'm on the outside looking in, here I'm struggling with this, and here she is presenting herself this way. She has expense. She has capabilities. She is very attractive. That's the point of friction for the Christian. This pathway to faithfulness is difficult, and it is costly. And again, as you remember, Babylon isn't only Rome. I trust you recognize that from the text of Scripture. This text speaks to you right now. Indeed, she is Rome, but she is bigger than Rome. She wasn't only in the first century. She continues throughout antiquity, throughout human history, throughout redemptive history as the Lord is working. Babylon remains Do you have any sense in your mind, if you could, in the private of your own mind right now, can you figure out the image of Babylon right now? Does she exist right now? Do you ever find yourself drawn in to her? Her attraction, is she appealing to you? Is there ever something that you desire so badly that you begin to almost get caught up in it? You make strategic compromises and choices to get rid of some things and to compromise even your own ethic in order to attain it? Are you ever tempted that way? Babylon remains. And so Jesus says as you gaze at Babylon as you gaze at the world around you and as you hear it crying out as you see its attractive beauty judge not by appearances use right judgment she appears to be beautiful but we have to keep going through the text of scripture to see the fullness of her image if you look at if you wanted a brief ex explanation of each one of these in verse 4, I would note to you that what John is communicating to us, built on other texts, is that her color of being arrayed in purple, as you see there in your text, it is a word on her royalty. That's consistent of the image of royalty throughout biblical literature. And scarlet is worth noting as well. The scarlet color there is a color of prostitution you see that from Jeremiah 4, verse 30. It's an Old Testament image of prostitution. The, the, the prostitute, which is consistent with the image here, she appeals to you, she comes to you in Jeremiah 4. It's, a, it's also a, a spiritual metaphor for uh, unfaithfulness to the Lord. He uses that through Jeremiah to his people. And, and, and he talks about the, 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 the prostitute who appears and her eyes are painted And her clothing is just so. And the color that she wears to lure you in is scarlet. So it is that John looks at culture at large, at the machine that is Rome, and he says to the church, she is arrayed just like a prostitute. She appears beautiful. She whispers and talks and just such a manner? Judge not by appearances, but use right judgment. So the last couple of images there looking at her is her jewelry, which is quite clear. You can imagine the jewelry that is upon her neck, or maybe if you were to personify her in her ears, it is a word of her affluence, a word of her riches and her luxuries. She offers them to you. Come. Partake. But to the Christian in the first century, there is a threshold there. There's a cost to their discipleship of faithfulness. If we don't, in other words, join in, we're going to suffer. Do you think that would be challenging to you? Perhaps in this situation now, you think, well, it's not so alluring to me. It's not such a draw to me upon my affections because I'm not facing the same hardships Destitute, broken, with no finance, without provision. But nonetheless, without the physical things, do you feel it in your heart sometimes? Joining in the economic machine, the glitz and the glamour. Let us not be fooled because it won't cost us physical structures or food on our table. It will cost us dearly to get caught up into Babylon. Let's look a little bit more about that because the way that she approaches you is critically important. You notice that early on in the book also, as the false teachers are present in the seven churches, and throughout the book, we see the false prophet appear. And I kind of joked with you before that they don't usually shout out from the rooftops that they're coming and they're going to lie to you for the next five minutes. And so just just uh, wait a few minutes, I'm going to lie here, and uh, then uh, we'll see what comes of it. Typically, they come with a way that appears to be truth, but then there is deep-seated lie mixed in within that facade of truth. This is how they did. They don't walk around declaring themselves to be false teachers. That's just not the way that it works. You're not going to gather a lot of people that way. It's much better if you can kind of sell the product as truth, only lay hold on people with the lies. So it is as Babylon approaches you, she doesn't cry out from from the gutter. She doesn't have power there. Look at how she approaches you. Look at in the text right here. She approaches you with the pearls there of her her glitz and her glamour. And she is holding in her hand as she approaches you a golden cup. Do you see that? Her riches. Look, look Look at what she's delivering to you. She is approaching to you this morning. She is tugging at your heart for your affections and your loyalty by coming to you with a, not a dog bowl, one with bite marks all over the top, has been kicked around the kitchen floor. It's not very appetizing. She comes to you with a vessel that is fit for your pleasure. Don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. She comes with a golden cup. But look at the contents of the golden cup. If you get past the facade, if you get past what she places in your hand, the way that she's luring you in, you get past it, you find that its contents are nothing more than abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. That is, if we were to put this back in the first century of Rome, once again, with its economic power and the call to the church to surrender their sense of standard and truth in the gospel and get caught up into financial security. She appeals to the insecure. Perhaps this is you this morning. She appears and she comes to the insecure with a golden cup of promise for security. I have what you need. Why why flounder there, just trying to get by? Why prioritize your family? What I can do for you, I can really set your family up well. I'll take care of everybody. You just worry about me. We'll walk together, and all these great blessings will flow from this cup that we share together. It is indeed a golden cup. Seemingly to be full of promise to those who are in a state of insecurity. Worried about economic capabilities. A sense of protection. Solid earthly welfare. But with this cup, she destructively intoxicates. This is what Babylon does here. She is the city of men. I want to encourage you this morning with this sense of the golden cup that has presented you from various manners of economic stability. It is nothing more than the city of man that has an opposing love that is not Christ and it works toward a different end and you will pay dearly for drinking from its cup. She appeals to you, work more hours gain more money if you're unstable and in a place of insecurity I offer you security stability look at me I'm arrayed with purple look at these jewels I can provide look at this clothing You can have it. And I offer it all to you in this vessel that appears indeed to be gold and full of promise. So it is that Christ says, Judge not by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Her ability to seduce is catastrophic. Look at verse 1 and 2. As you look at how many hear the call of the great prostitute in a state of uh, insecurity, longing to find an anchor, longing to find security, how many hear Babylon call out to them through these various threads uh, that she appeals to them? How many will get caught up in her? Verse 1 then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Look at her. She is seated on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Look at the the, the self-interpreting picture of many waters. If you're there in the text, just look over at verse 15. And you see between the kings and the earth dwellers in verse 15, it interprets itself. Verse 15, the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Do you see? There was no one left out. Everyone outside of Christ is caught up in the lies of Babylon. Everyone from kings who are in authority, governments, all the way down to your base, earth dweller, the general term used throughout the book of Revelation for all who are outside of Christ. And if you missed it, peoples, multitudes, and languages are all caught up in the lies of Babylon. Her power to seduce is catastrophic. Her ability to appear with glitz and glamour The faster, the stronger, the bigger, the louder, the better. And how many hear that call? How many get seduced into sacrificing their own sense of humanity? Their own family unit? The blessing that the Lord has given them. The need to sell this and buy that because we've got to have that one. We've got to keep pace with this ever-developing and ever-escalating situation within culture. I saw that on TV. It's the last one, by the way. I've got to go get it. And in order to do so, I'm going to compromise this over here. And I've lost my bearings. How many people live like that? How many? Everyone outside of Christ gets seduced by Babylon. It might not look the same for everyone. Certainly it doesn't. Some have the capabilities to really show that they're caught up in Babylon. Others just long for it deeply within their heart. But she is seductive to all. Either one who can possess and go get or one who longs to have and strives forever to lay hold of. Everyone. Is seduced by her cup of abominations. The picture there, I want to clarify one thing for you as you're looking at the text before you is that it constantly appears to be sexual sin, sexual immorality, sexual immorality. The mother of the prostitutes, the mother of the harlots, uh, the woman. Uh, we're wise to receive this language from sexual immorality as a pervasive metaphor throughout prophetic literature for unfaithfulness. So, so, So that's a good word to us to not think this is all purely sexual driven. It must be the internet. We recognize already to step back from that and recognize indeed Babylon is highly involved in the internet. But she isn't Just the internet. And it is a word of unfaithfulness. Ultimately, that picture of sexual immorality that the Lord uses throughout prophetic literature is really at its core an issue of idolatry. Here, for Babylon, as the economic wing of Rome, the burden for The church in this situation is the almighty dollar. Maybe you've heard that song. I do songs quite often. Uh, It just strikes me when I hear a song. Uh, A lot of different biblical passages come to my mind, and I like hearing them. So I share them with you. They might not be all that insightful. Nonetheless, here you go. Uh, The thought of idolatry with Babylon in the financial wing of power and the offer of privilege is my mind goes to a show me and Adri used to get caught up in when we were in seminary. A good relaxation move was to turn on uh, Donald Trump's uh, program uh, called The Apprentice. That was before all of these later uh, evolutionary ones that are involving old, uh, used up uh, stars and so on and so forth. The, uh, it was one of the original ones back where it was like, you know, guys just trying out to make a dollar. And and if you remember at the beginning of that, uh, the, the draw is, you know, this picture of Babylon itself personified. Uh, with a man just in, in all his beauty, stepping off his own private chopper and on the move. And in the background is money, 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 Maybe, Maybe you have heard, maybe you haven't. This is the picture here. This is the idolatry of the sexual immorality. What the Lord is saying, this is unfaithfulness at its root. It is caught up in idolatry. And the idolatry that Babylon gives to you is security. It is finance. She has beauty. She is dressed in beautiful clothes. She offers to you who are just getting by a way to get up and out. And the soundtrack to Babylon is money, 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 money. Okay, that's the version without singing it. That's the soundtrack. And everybody gets in line because I got to get mine. And how many people see that, that picture of someone stepping off their own private chopper? Got their own helipad in her backyard. And that nice long coat. And I think money, money, money. And down this pathway of deception they go. How many? Kings and earth dwellers. And everybody in between. Multitudes, peoples, and languages. Idolatry. For the almighty dollar. A sense of security. This is what Babylon offers you and she comes to you with a golden cup that says you can have it. Just drink up and you'll be fine. What sets in with this, if I could just share with you briefly from a word of fornicating with Babylon, that is the imagery here of sexual uh, union. That is how graphic this this sense of buying into the dream. I was, me and Adrian, again, just kind of on the side note, we were watching a program together, and um, it wasn't uh, the program we watch in seminary. We're past that now. We're a little more adultish, maybe. We'll see. Nonetheless, we're watching something else at this point, and the guy began to tell a story about, um, it was just a biography of himself, or an autobiography, rather, and he was telling the sense of I had, I, um, I had, I was a businessman, a typical businessman in London, and I had, and I don't even know who the designer was of his ties. Apparently over there it was high end, his shoes, his wingtip shoes and so forth, and his slacks and his suit, and he was explaining it. And then he was saying that I was in this job and I was doing so well and I was escalating so quickly and I was gaining so much popularity. I was on the scene socially, I was kind of uh, a man at work. And uh, yet, in that time, I slowly lost my identity. How can you lose your identity when everybody is gathering around you and speaking to how awesome you are? He lost his sense of identity. And in the height of his career, and this person is not now a Christian, this is not his testimony, it just simply is the way that Babylon operates. He said, I just fell into deep depression because I had no sense of who I really was. I worked more hours than I slept. Than I was ever away from work. Than I was ever with a significant individual that I could have a meaning relationship with. And he had no sense of who he was. He fell into deep depression and lost his job. But he was dressed like Babylon. What takes place in this sense of getting caught up into your security in Babylon is also this second kind of thought that flows from Babylon is, however she succeeds, so also do we. That is, how the stock market goes, so does our joy and happiness. How our savings goes, so does our joy and our happiness. In the sense that we share the fate of Babylon. We share in her. Our hearts are invested in her. And when she succeeds at 630 at night, we succeed. That is the world news if you watch it. When we hear the report, if the green arrow is up, everybody eat, drink, be merry. And if it's down, never mind, I'm going to eat alone. A sense of, uh, my fate is tied to hers. And what does that then breed? Collective paranoia. Have you noticed a lot of that? We're all supposed to be in paranoia right now. Oh, wait, no, I think they passed part of it. Wait, no, now there's a big debate. Wait, no, are they going to get this under control? Let's all share in the paranoia. Because when your heart is tied to Babylon, and her success is your success, nothing waits you but paranoia. There are two things I want to leave you with as we kind of come towards our time of concluding this text of Babylon. I want to leave you with these two things that stick out from the text. These two deadly things that are left to the person who is wooed or tricked into the, intoxic- or in the intoxicating influence of Babylon. Number one, and this is just for you as a, as a sense of takeaway from the thought of Babylon and the need to judge with right judgment is number one. It principally replaces God as a source of all security. That's it. God is your high tower. Christian, God is your refuge. In uncertainty, more money, more hours at work will not give you security. It will not. It will not. The more you make, the more you want to make more you compromise. I'm not putting down everyone who makes money. I'm not at all. I'm simply speaking if your heart is over invested and it is to you a word of security and it is to you a word of idolatry that you are sacrificing all of this to have that, then then I am speaking to you. And even if you don't have any way to make money right now, is your heart Heart, which is the center of the text, caught up in longing for more of Babylon. In a sense that if I could make more, she would be a security for me. For my wife. For my children. She replaces God as your source of security. What is the destruction that waits? Just briefly with me, I know. Just think for a moment divorce. That struck me in this text. I was thinking of this, what happens oftentimes in these strategies as I meet people and talk with people and the burden they bear, how often this can cause hurt and harm in the home when one gets caught up in Babylon and seeking it and trying to attain it, and then things get sacrificed in the home. Children, wife, wife, I need it for them, is what we say. I'm going to do it for them, we say. I'm going to get more hours. I'm going to do more things. I'm going to make more money for them, we say. Before you know it, we have lost them. And she doesn't tell you that at the beginning. She reveals that to you when you're intoxicated. And you have no sense of judging with right judgment. So it is then the second portion of the word of warning I would leave you with about the word of Babylon this morning from this text is it, secondly, it replaces God, number one, as a source of all security, and secondly, it numbs, it numbs one against any fear of coming judgment. You get so caught up in her intoxicating liquid, you get so caught up in drinking from that golden cup of abomination when someone speaks the gospel it's nearly impossible to hear its warning what is here and now what is tangible to me now makes sense to me and you cannot discern that your own end is death it numbs an intoxication it numbs you against any sense of coming judgment eat, drink, and be merry today for tomorrow, we die. Who cares? It's here and now. It will numb you against the sense of coming judgment in the Lord. She blinds you, brothers and sisters, she blinds you with intoxicating drink. So it is the warning that Jesus says to you this morning from this text of Scripture, John 7, Judge not by appearances. I need more. I need to work harder and get this, attain that, in order to feel a sense of security. Judge not by appearances of security. Judge with the right judgment. I leave you with this quote of St. Augustine. He says it this way. Earthly riches are full of poverty. And he said that in the fourth century. Let it be a word to us to judge with right judgment. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you humbly. We ask that you would take this text and you would empower us with it, that we would meditate upon it deeply and we would see past the facade. We would recognize, do not judge a book by its cover. Earthly riches are full of poverty. And Lord, with the kindness you have granted us, with provision, with the wealth that you have allowed us to generate and have, let us always prize the giver Above the gift. So hold it as a holy stewardship before you. To be blessed by. As you have encouraged us. And to bless others. With which you have provided. In all things. Let us resist by grace. Idolatry. Holding and clinging to Christ. You are. Our true security. We love you. Thank you for this time being around your word. I pray for the saints who are in this room right now. That they would be empowered, that they would have the capability through this text to be discerning individuals, Christians living before you, able to judge with right judgment. And to those who have been wounded by missteps and poor judgment, restore them with a word of grace. Let them hear of the mercy seat of Christ, the high priestly prayers on their behalf, the righteousness that is theirs in Him, and the call of the Father to repent and come home. So, Lord, keep our feet from falling as we rely upon your spirit and your grace. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.